This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Well, good afternoon and welcome to Vancouver Consumer. I'm Sterling Fox, and in just a few moments, Stuart Zuckerman, founder and senior partner Ron Hunink from the Zuckerman Law Group, will join us to take your calls and talk about how family law on this Family Day weekend, issues have changed. It's a good time to take a look at changes to the Family Law Act that have occurred in our province in the last 10 years and see how it's affected life today. In our second hour, Drs. Bobby Birdie and Yale Weinstock from BC Perio will join us to talk about a new Netflix dental documentary and lots more on the fast-changing world of modern dentistry. But first, here are some of the top consumer stories we're following this week. And BlackBerry heads the list, getting $40 million in federal funding, that would be your money and mine, to help develop technologies that make cars safer, more connected to cyberspace, and eventually capable of driving themselves. The company is putting $310 million of its own money into the initiative, which will create 800 jobs over the next 10 years in the Ottawa area, as well as supporting 300 existing jobs. The one-time smartphone leader, BlackBerry, will put the federal money towards software development for the next generation of autonomous vehicles, as well as skills training for workers. BlackBerry says its QNX software is already in 120 million cars, and they plan to develop new automated control systems and improve car safety by expanding its driver assistance system. The federal money is coming from the government's Strategic Innovation Fund, which is a program intended to stimulate development of innovative products. Vancouver International Airport, a.k.a. YVR, has seen record-breaking growth in passenger numbers for 2018, according to an announcement this week last year. In Vancouver, we welcomed more than almost 26 million passengers. 25.9 million people went through YVR last year, which is 7.3% more than the previous year. This means the airport has reached its 25th million passenger milestone two years ahead of the forecast. The airport believes that its $9.1 billion expansion program has fueled passenger growth, along with expanded services from its airline partners especially the significant continued growth from Air Canada, who has chosen YVR as its premier trans-Pacific hub. Last year, Air Canada introduced new flights to 10 destinations and increased services on five existing routes. YVR expects to serve more than 29 million passengers in 2020, and by two years later, 2022, they say 32 million should go through our airport. Still with the aviation files, striking pilots of China Airlines, Taiwan's biggest carrier, have agreed to return to work, ending seven days of strike action over working conditions and benefits. More than 200 flights, including several to Vancouver, were canceled after the union launched the action February 8th, stranding close to 50,000 passengers and will losses totaling over 16 U.S. million dollars uh, on the carrier. Now, under the New Deal, the union has agreed not to strike again for three and a half years. In return, the airline agreed to the union's main demand, and it's all about increasing the number of pilots on various flights to combat fatigue and improve safety. The carrier will roster three pilots on flights of more than eight hours, up from the present two, and they'll have four pilots now on flights over 12 hours 
up from three. It also agreed to meet other union demands on five routes the pilots felt were particularly draining. Now, I'm guessing you know the answer to this one already, but here's the question anyway. What are the best and worst cities in Canada for a single person to buy a home? Property website Zucasa released its annual survey this week and found Regina to be the very best town in the nation for a single-income, single person to stand a chance of buying a home. And it's all about income, too. Regina, for example, an average house price. Dream on, Vancouverites. Average house price in Regina today... $285,000. It would take an annual wage of about 39 grand to be able to afford that average home in Regina. Now, here in Metro Vancouver, the worst city in Canada for singles to buy homes, the average house price is just a whisker over a million bucks, and it takes an income of just under 140000 to be able to get into the game. The Greater Toronto Area is next on big, tough cities for singles to buy homes, with Victoria right up there at number three. At the other end of that list, next to Regina in affordability... Charlottetown, PEI, and St. John, New Brunswick. Those are some of the week's top consumer stories. We'll look at some more as the show goes along. But coming right up, we welcome back, well, one of our most popular guests, Stuart Zuckerman. And Ron Hunink is back with us on the program today from the Zuckerman Law Group, here to take your calls and answer your questions about family law matters. You want to grab a phone line, 604, uh, I'm sorry, it's 604-298-280-9898. Uh, 604-280-9898. Uh, You're welcome to jump in. We'll take a quick break, and we're back with your calls and family law on Vancouver Consumer here on CKNW. Welcome back to the program. Sterling Fox in studio, joined by a couple of lawyers who have proven to be one of our most popular guests on this program over the years we've been doing it. It's a pleasure to welcome back Stuart Zuckerman and Ron Hunink from the Zuckerman Law Group. Stuart and Ron, good to see you both. Great to be here, Sterling. Good to be here. All right, Ron, we haven't seen you for a while. Last time you were in, last time Stuart was in, and you usually do a tag team thing on the show with us, you were right in the middle of a big trial. That's right. And are, is it still going on? I would hope not. Not, that's been a few weeks. No, that one's done. Uh, it's interesting you should ask, uh, Sterling, because uh, what actually happened in that case uh, is the third time of the same thing happening, which is we get to the middle of a trial and the other side waved the white flag. Wow. But it took all the way to halfway through the proceedings. That's an expensive white flag, isn't it, Ron? It's too expensive. It's it's just not right. If you know going in, and by you I mean lawyers, if lawyers know going in uh, that they have you know, a 10% chance of winning, they should tell their clients that, mm-hmm. in, in my view. And sometimes, you know, the client still wants to go ahead. But three in a row where you do all that preparation, you run the trial, you engage the judge's time, and that's not inexpensive sure. time. We don't have to pay for it. But, you know, that's a cost on society. Only to then wave the white flag halfway through, it's not right. It's, it's not it's, fair to either party. Right. And, Stuart, you've said that, it, unlike Ron's recent experiences, plural, that in many cases in your storied career, you've actually resolved the case on the courthouse steps or in the hallway outside the first hearing of, of that scheduled court, uh, court session. It's happened many times. Um, you, you know, we, we do tell clients you know, in family law, typically, statistically, 95% of the cases that are filed in the registry do not go to trial. Right. They settle before trial. And we make every effort to settle early on. The problem is sometimes 
it's not until you have the pressure and stress of of the uh, walking into the courtroom that the other side finally comes to their senses and makes a reasonable offer. So I've had lots of cases where the other side makes offers to settle prior to trial, but the offers are not reasonable. Sure, right. um, and you know, I'm telling my client, this is what the like I think the likely outcome is going to be if we proceed to trial. Right. Uh, we get ready for trial. We show up, and um, you know, the other lawyer might approach me five minutes, 15 minutes before we're walking into court saying, can I, can I talk to you? And they're making a proposal just a, a, on the morning of the first day of trial. And I, I have had many cases that have settled that way. But, uh, I, of course, it's better and less expensive for the clients than what's happened to Ron, where you start the trial. And, um, but still, and, even, and even a, putting you through the preparation yes. for trial phase, it's, it's costly. Very it's costly, yeah. We often tell clients that, that you know a five-day trial in, in the Supreme Court of British Columbia typically would require about 10 days of preparation in advance of that five-day trial. So. Wow. You're preparing for two weeks before that week of trial in order to have all your ducks in a row and to make sure you have all your case law ready and your evidence lined up, uh, exhibits lined up. It takes a lot of work to get that all prepared. Question for both of you. Uh, given the fact, uh, even though you've, you've had some interesting recent experiences, Ron, even though uh, Stewart says the majority of family law issues are resolved without going to court. Nonetheless, when one is involved in a family dispute of some kind and is looking to, uh, to select a lawyer, how important is it for that person to select an attorney who has legitimate court experience and who isn't afraid to gain some more, even though the preferred outcome would be not to go to court? Well, I think it's extremely important, uh, particularly in cases that involve complex issues or significant asset values. Um, but in any case where you may, where you may go to court, you want to make sure that your lawyer has a track record and has has been to court. And it's not uh, difficult to uh, you can go onto the BC Supreme Court website, search judgments um, a tab, and put in the name of the lawyer that you're looking at, and find cases that that lawyer has acted in, and read the decisions and see whether the judge made comments about that lawyer. Uh, uh, the judges are sometimes critical of lawyers who are wasting the court's time right, or, sure. or engage in any kind of unprofessional would expect. statements in front of the court at a trial. So you can you can read how how the lawyers have done in their previous cases by by searching that online and it's very important that a lawyer not only have court experience but uh, have success in their court experience because you don't want to you know there's lots of lawyers who go to court and don't do well as well so um, it's not just being in court it's also uh, that that they've you know uh, appropriately uh, brought cases to court and been successful. Well I'll bet you a lot of people listening didn't know that there are stats on lawyers performances in court much as though you'd find stats on a hockey player on the win lost column that kind of thing. It's not exactly stats it's just that you can go in and to the website and you can read the reasons for judgment from all the cases where that lawyer has been representing sure, one yeah. of the parties and figure out for yourself whether that lawyer did well or not. Right, but the, the information I, uh, I think the surprising revelation yes. here is it's public. Yes. You can do it anytime. It's your convenience. Of Just course. go online and away you go. Yep. Ron, we t- I, the question I posed in the intro to this, the, this particular hour was talking about the Family Law Act in British Columbia, which went through a fairly major change back in, I believe, 2013. Right. And now, have there been other significant changes since then? And what were the big changes that are still in effect and probably working better than the old way of doing things? Well... Under the old way of doing things, people who weren't married but had been living common law for years didn't have property rights against the other. Oh. Right. And 
uh, as of uh, 2013, when the Family Law Act came in, people who are living together in a marriage-like relationship for two years or more acquired those rights, the exact same rights that married people have. Well, I'm thinking that that goes back even to, to California and the Lee Marvin Palimony case, because that's many, many decades old now. But is that the same principle, Ron? I think the principle is very similar, yeah. And it's not as though people didn't have rights before that, but the cost of running a case previous to the Family Law Act for people who are unmarried was astronomical, and so most people most people wouldn't even dare. Right, and Stuart, <coughs> one of the other elements to the changes in the Family Law Act are an increased emphasis on mediation and alternatives. That's correct. You can now, you can serve a notice to mediate and force the other party to attend a mediation um, in advance of uh, in advance of trial uh, or go to arbitration. Um, so there are ways to avoid uh, the uh, the court system and try to settle it outside of court. And and of course the uh, the act also supports uh, uh, collaborative the collaborative process and and people hiring collaborative lawyers and and keeping things out of the court that way. And is that uh, that's designed again to take a little burden off the courts? Yes. And and also I think to get people talking to each other other more, right? Yeah, well, the mediation is definitely a valuable tool. Um, uh you know the problem with mediation is if one party's un- un- unwilling to compromise, it is still a waste of money to prepare for and attend mediation. But the you know a skilled mediator uh, will take each of the parties aside into kind of a side room and say, you know, I think you're barking up the wrong tree, sure. or you're going to waste your money at trial and lose. You really should. The mediator, um, um, being an experienced family law lawyer before they become a mediator, uh, is able to assess the case and and say to the parties outside of the mediation room, um, you need to give a little because you're being unreasonable here. And so uh, that's it's the job of the mediators to help bring the parties together and try to help resolve the and, issues. And I was going to ask uh, you uh, about talking down a client. And Ron, you and I think have had this conversation before when some Someone comes to you in a, in a in, in, in the whole the split is happening. It's very emotional, and they are seriously ticked, and they are ready to go to war. Uh, how do you try to convince someone with that emotionally wrapped up to unwind and and let the process take care of things? Well, that's that's an excellent question, uh, Sterling. Uh, in in many instances, people are wound up not because of their own circumstances, but because family members think this is what they ought to do. So, family members help uh, help the person who's going through this difficult process by not getting them wound up, uh, for starters. But how we talk them off the ledge? Uh, well, I, I pretend to be in the judge's seat, and I tell my uh, my clients if I heard this uh, side of your story and uh, and the other story, I would be looking uh, to a solution that would well last as long as possible for starters, but also uh, build into it as as few as possible potential conflicts going forward. And of course, the thing that that people fight most vociferously over is uh, their kids, right? And so the 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 comment that I make to many of my clients is, you're going to have to deal with your ex for the next 16 years sure, of course, because yeah. your little one's only three. That's right. And the older one's a, a little older. But imagine how you feel right now. Would you like to feel that way for 16 more years? I don't think so. Right. It'd just chew you up, wouldn't yeah. it? Right? Uh, we did open up our phone lines and give uh, listeners an opportunity to jump in. 604-280-9898. Lines are wide open right now. Let's go to Surrey to start our calls. Sophia, good afternoon. 
Hi. Hello. I have a question. Sure, um, My partner and I separated. We have a three-year-old son. Um, my partner only seen our son on the weekend sometimes, just for one day when he has time. Okay. Uh, is, is that, sorry to interrupt, but is that by order or is that just the way it works out? The way it works okay. out. He's very right. busy and he doesn't have much time. Gotcha. Um, okay. I was recently offered a job opportunity in Toronto, which going to pay me double what I'm getting paid here in Vancouver. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm contemplating on moving right now to Toronto. I do have family in Toronto, so that would be very beneficial for our son as right. well. But um, what, what are the implications of relocating? How does that change the ground rules? Is that what you're after this afternoon, Sophia? That's right. That's right. Okay. I, want, I did tell my ex-partner, and he's against it, but for me, it feels if he doesn't see our son for such, like, sees him only on the weekend, it shouldn't be an issue. But I just want to hear what Stuart and Ron thinking about that. Well, thanks very much for your question. I'll let you send you back to your radio. And uh, Stuart, why don't you have a run at this? So the, the Family Law Act has a lot of provisions specifically about relocation. And Sophia, you can go online, look up the Family Law Act, and look at Section 69 and the following uh, paragraphs uh, that deal with relocation. You'd, it is vitally important that you give written notice to your ex. Uh, you could do it by email to prove the date that you sent it to him. You have to give 60 days notice of your intention to relocate. And he then has 30 days to object. Uh, If he objects within those 30 days, uh, he can bring an application to restrain you from relocating with the child, or you can bring an application to relocate. Um, And uh, you're in a good position based on the fact that he's only seeing the the child on on weekends. If there's a 50-50 arrangement in place, then it's it's more difficult under the act to to do the move. Uh, But um, if it's less than 50-50, then the court looks at uh, the, as long as the move is not intended to interfere with the other party's parenting time and there's a valid reason for the move that's going to be that's going to benefit the interests of the child so by socioeconomic benefits like a doubling your salary sure. uh, for the primary caregiver uh, the court would allow in my opinion and under the act uh, the provision that would be very highly likely to allow this move even if the husband objects whereas if the husband was exercising 50-50 care of the child uh, the court has a, a more stringent test that focuses on the best interest of the child. Uh, but if it's less than 50-50, it favors the primary caregiver uh, being pr- allowed to make the move as long as it's being made in good faith with without the intention to deny access to the other parent. It's also vitally important uh, to, to make proposals uh, to uh, accommodate the other parent's parenting time, like Skype contact oh, sure. or holiday uh, visits, stuff all like that. that. Yeah. Sophia, great call. Uh, good question, too, and thank you for that. 604-280-9898. Our family law lawyers, Stuart Zuckerman and Ron Hunick, on duty this afternoon on Vancouver Consumer, taking more of your calls after the news. And welcome back to Vancouver Consumer. I'm Sterling Fox. In studio with me, Stuart Zuckerman and Ron Hunick. Stuart is the founder. Ron Hunick is one of the senior partners of the Zuckerman Law Group uh, with a, a, a great website. I was just complimenting the guys on how the it's been tuned up recently. ZuckermanLaw.ca. And Zuckerman, by the way, is Z-U-K-E-R. M-A-N, Zuckerman Law, one word, dot C-A. Terrific website, lots of helpful information there. Uh, we did open up the phone lines. Let's start in White Rock this time around, 604-280-9898. Joe, thanks for waiting. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to uh, all of you. Uh, my question is this. Uh, about eight years ago, I drew up a will, and I uh, left uh, the bulk of my estate to my one and only son. 
and uh, and I also made him the executor. But that's not the question. Okay. I've uh, around the time of 2013, when the family law VC was uh, changed, ended. Yep. I heard that uh, I might have a problem, and that is, I have a daughter by a previous marriage, but I have not heard uh, from her. We could say we're completely disconnected. Uh, I've not heard from her, nor has she heard from me in, in any way for well over 30 years. Ah. And the flag was, well, she just might have a claim on your will, on your estate. What's the answer? Well, she? Uh, good question. It's interesting, the expressions of my two guests here, uh, are, are uh, they're thinking about it. Uh, Stuart, what, what do you think here? Um, well, uh, she, would, she would take a run at it. it, it can, I mean, you can't blame her you, for that. Under the Wills, Estates, and Succession Act, which is the act that would apply, uh, it used to be the Wills Variation Act. Right, yes. Uh, th- there is the ability for a biological child who's left out of a will to bring an application to the court to vary the will. Right. To say that the, that the testator, the person who wrote the will, did not have proper um, attention to their their filial duty, their duty to a child, uh, when they cut me out of the will. So uh, often... Uh, this it's, after a 30-year absence uh, of any communication? That's a factor that the court can look at. When, okay. there's, when there's no relationship, the court can say the, that the duty was diminished. Uh, but it's important for this fellow to do... He could do a codicil to his will that explains why he has left out the child and that there's been no communication. So that is that he turned his mind to his duty uh, in and then made a conscious decision to to cut the child out for for other reasons. I think Ron might. I don't know if Ron and, has. A and is it too this. late? Is the horse left the barn, or can Joe still add that codicil he, to he his will? He can still add the codicil anytime uh, prior to his death. He can he can add uh, codicils to his will. Okay, now Joe, let me just uh, uh, solicit Ron here and yeah. see what he wants to throw in as an, uh, an answer as well. Joe, it's <clears throat> it's a it's a bit of a challenge, but I, I wanted to first comment: we are not uh, estate lawyers; right. we're family lawyers. Right. So uh, Stuart and I are speaking from our generalized knowledge, which we still have to have because we have family law clients uh, who ask us about the uh, interplay between their wills and their family matters and so forth. But Joe, the uh, the shorter answer is exactly as uh, Stuart mentioned that um, your estranged daughter is going to have uh, some ability to claim. But to answer Sterling's question, you can write a new will every day. It's a little expensive, mm-hmm. but you don't have to. Uh, you, the best thing for you to do is, as Stuart mentioned, get some documentation uh, in the package where you keep your will. And you can do a new will if you want that specifically mentions the reasons why you've taken this step. Um, but the best advice I can give you is to do this with an estate lawyer. You want someone who specializes in the area uh, that, that w- where your legal problem arises, and that's estate law. Okay, John. And um, there, if, if you look up estate lawyers, you're going to get a number of them. Uh, there are some who've done a tremendous number of, uh, of cases in the courts. Uh, I have some names uh, in mind. If you want to call us and get the names, fine. I'm not going to do it on the air. I don't think it would be appropriate. Joe, how's that? Uh, I will contact your office. Zuckermanlaw.ca, by the way, is the website, Joe, and that has all the contact points and the addresses of the offices because uh, they're in a uh, head office. Stuart is in uh, Surrey. Yeah. And, uh, Ron, you work out of the Vancouver office uh, on Mainland Street. Well, I did, <clears throat> Sterling, but now I'm, I'm uh, situated in Surrey, but I can still meet clients uh, in our Vancouver satellite office. Okay. I didn't realize it moved. Uh, you'd moved into the burbs. <laughs> Joe, thanks very much for the call. Ron, during the news break, you were just you were following up on Sophia's call from last half hour on the matter of relocation. Right. Uh, and she explained her circumstances, got a terrific job offer, mm-hmm. and uh, is very seriously contemplating 
blowing town, heading to Toronto. So, but you had you had something in there because, of course, Sophia is is in, a, in an arranged situation. There is an agreement of some kind. There is documentation here. What happens if there isn't any documentation? Well, I'll tell you. You know, it's a it's a sad story that uh, actually happened in a file of mine. I acted for uh, for Dad, but um, Mom did her own lawyering. Big mistake when she did her own lawyering. She read that section that uh, Stewart had mentioned that uh, permits uh, a parent to give sixty days sixty days notice to the other side, and the other side then has thirty days to respond and uh, apply to court and and try to get an order to preventing them from moving. Right. What she didn't read is the part that says this only applies to people who have agreements, written agreements concerning the children, or who have a court order. She didn't have either. She moved to Ontario. Uh, My client had to pay thousands of dollars for me to go to court to get the children moved back. So that hurt both sides, uh, clearly. But the the point of the exercise is, uh, don't try to be your own lawyer, and do know that this does not apply to people who don't have an agreement in writing or who don't have a court order. If you have either of those, then it applies. Otherwise, you're out. Well, and Stuart, you've raised this point on this program many, many times in your multiple appearances with us, the whole matter of, and of course, you're going through, and you're, one of your TV ads talks about it with a couple of uh, female characters going, I'm at the end of my tether. I don't know what to do. I'm just, I'm so strung out, I can barely move. I'm paraphrasing, mm-hmm. obviously. Yep. But uh, the point being, when you're that emotionally wired up, uh, taking legal advice from family members or old pals is not necessarily the wise, wisest move. Yeah, we often hear people say, well, my brother-in-law told me or my sister-in-law told me that in her case, this, this, this happened. And therefore, you know, shouldn't that happen in my case? And sure. every family law case turns on its own facts. And you shouldn't be relying on relatives for legal advice or friends for legal advice. You speak to a lawyer. We provide a free initial consultation. Uh, it doesn't cost you anything to come in and meet with a lawyer for half an hour. And you'll find out what your legal rights and obligations are from someone who knows what they're talking about. Okay. And, and uh, when it comes to that initial consultation, you just mentioned it's a, it's a free service that you provide. Yeah. And part of that, I think, is just giving an individual pretty emotionally wrung out an opportunity to at least discover, Stuart, what their legal situation yeah. is. Where am I here? Have I just been taken out at the knees? Um, is it over? Where, what do I get? Yeah. So, I mean, the, you know, in a consultation, you're you're informed of all of your rights and all of your obligations, um, and you'll know exactly where you stand um, if the matter was to go to court. And so, it, it assists you in giving reasonable uh, a reasonable basis on from which to negotiate. I wanted to ask you both, and and only because it's a news item, and Ben's going to do a feature on it later in the hour. Uh, the 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 issues that come up areas of conflict between grown-ups parents specifically i want to talk about vaccinations for all of a, a minute or two has it ever come up in your experience you're both senior lawyers where parents actually divorce because they can't agree on vaccinations uh, I haven't had a case where they divorce because of vaccinations. I have had cases where separated the, the parties have already separated and it comes time for vaccinations and mom says, 
you know, I read this article mm-hmm. and I don't want to get my kids vaccinated. And dad says, I want to get them vaccinated. Um, if mom refuses, uh, you know, you, you, you can go to court and with a court application and get a judge to make a decision on whether the kid gets vaccinated or not. Oh, is that right? Um, so, you know, as long as it's in the best interest of the child, you can uh, usually convince the court to make the order that's necessary. The, the hope is that you, you know, what we would do is present cases to the spouse who's refusing vaccinations to show that there are decisions in BC where the courts have permitted the vaccinations on application and convince them to not make us go to court over it because they're going to uh, lose. They're going to lose. Right. Um, and so there are a lot of these people who kind of rely on, you know, what you might call nutcase or uh, kind of uh, out there articles uh, that aren't scientifically based that say, you know, vaccinations aren't in the interest of the kid. And, and there's, you know, you can usually get a letter from the kid's doctor saying that, you know, I'm the kid's doctor. And in my view, that's in the interest of the child that they get the vaccination. Sure. That may be even that alone may be sufficient to convince a judge to to make the uh, the order to permit the vaccination. Ron, in your experience, I'm, I'm talking about uh, this. Now we're into the minutia, the, li- the mm-hmm. little nitpicky things that end up being items of great distress and, and great combat. But really, uh, when it comes to uh, adults who aren't getting along and who have decided that, you know, that this is going to nowhere, so spare us the pain of trying to pretend it is. Um, so then uh, children's issues, they're things you fight about, but that's not something to get divorced over, usually, is it? Well, <laughs> I agree, but people who are getting divorced usually have a fundamental inco- uh, incompatibility, and that will often uh, be reflected in incompatibility over parenting. So there are uh, some cases where the reason the whole relationship breaks down is because mom and dad have very different ideas of parenting. I mean, one of the things that we see uh, arising in the news a lot, and uh, sometimes actually arises in our cases, is uh Johnny or Janie uh, seems to want to be a boy or a girl, as the case may be. Right, right. So we have gender issues mm-hmm. and, 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 and fighting over that. We sometimes have instances where Johnny or Janie appears, uh, appears to be gravitating to, towards a same-sex orientation. Mm-hmm. And we have uh, moms or dads who either want to facilitate this or, uh, uh, or who want to prevent resist Johnny. It in the extreme. Resist it in the extreme. Sure, yeah. So the, there are a wide variety of things that parents can disagree about, uh, certainly. What is really important for your kids is for them to not see you or hear you uh, having these arguments. Um, you have those arguments away from your children. Uh, it, it's, it can have a profound and lasting effect on your children for them to, to see these things being argued. Absolutely. And there, there are valid, uh, there's validity to, to both sides in many instances, but your children don't need to be part of the battle. They're the goal. Mm-hmm. And, of course, a lot of the changes that the B.C. Family Law Act a, a few years ago, 2013, were done with the, the preeminence of the, of the, of the child at, at, at always the focal point, the central point of how the law was shaped and changed, Stuart, to it always the best interest of the child prevails or that, dominates. That's correct. And that's always been the case. And, and it is incorporated into the act as well that the best interest of the child dominates the okay. decision making. I wanted to ask you about grandparents, because uh, sometimes when a couple uh, goes their separate ways, one set, sometimes both sets, but usually one set 
of grandparents essentially gets written out of the script, especially on a relocation situation that you've talked about, Ron. But just generally speaking, when there's a particularly um, hostile separation, etc., um, grandparents can do, do grandparents have any rights when it comes to seeing their grandkids, uh, even though their their son or daughter is no longer married to their spouse any longer? Do grandparents have access to the courts go, I need to see my my grandkids. Gosh, not it's not a, a daily thing, Your Honor. How about once a month? Right. <clears throat> well, they do have rights. They, they do have the ability to uh, apply to court. Uh, however, I strongly recommend to every grandparent who is, uh, who is being uh, elbowed out of their grandchildren's uh, lives as a result of uh, uh, divorce or separation breakdown. Get into mediation uh, or get into um, get into counseling so that you can smooth things over. Because in the end, as long as a parent can show that the contact that they're permitting with grandparents is some contact, uh, the, the, the grandparents are generally not going to win in court. Uh-huh. It's only if they're completely cut out and they had a very close relationship with the children uh, that they have some chance of success. So for grandparents, mind your P's and Q's uh, and try to do the very best you can uh, uh, through non-court means. And only in those circumstances that, that I mentioned where you're being completely cut out at time two, whereas at time one you were very close, then go to court. Your grandchildren will, de- will deserve that. But really what they deserve is, well... They deserve a normal grandparent relationship, not a grudging one. And you'll, you'll be better off uh, in, in getting the normal one outside of court. Stuart, uh, we've only got a minute or so left, and I'm thinking of that famous line from Cool Hand Luke. What we have here is a failure to communicate. Yes. And is that essentially the root of all these, uh, all of your cases and clients, I, I would say so. That it's the that if if parties can communicate uh, reasonably and amicably, they can usually work these things out. It's when they can't communicate without uh, insults and anger mm-hmm. and uh, you know um, unreasonableness that that's when lawyers become involved and courts become involved. If the better the parties communicate, the easier it is to work it out. And of course, in in mediation, the job of the mediator is to facilitate communication between parties who don't communicate well. So we actually help people who don't get along, uh, speak to each other and hear each other uh, and focus on each other's uh, interests and fears um, in order to uh, come to solutions that address those interests and fears. So communication is key to resolving these matters. And uh, communication is also the key to avoiding a lot of this stuff in the first place, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Years of experience, two very, very warm smiles at that. Obviously, Ron says, obviously. Just wanted to let your uh, viewers know as well that I'm going to be on uh, Global uh, News on the Noon Hour News on Monday, uh, February 25th, talking about common law rights. Okay. Uh, so you'll see me uh, on the uh, on the news on Global. Along with your ads uh, saying, call us before your spouse does. And it's important <laughs> that you do call us before your spouse does because of conflict of laws. Once, uh, not conflict of laws, but uh, the issue of conflict. Once somebody calls us and uh, we speak to them about their case, we're unable to act for the opposing party. So whoever calls first is the one who gets to use our services. And all the contact points, friends, are available on their excellent website, ZuckermanLaw.caz. U-K-E-R-Z-U-K-E-R-M-A-N, ZuckermanLaw.ca. Phone numbers, addresses, offices, all that stuff right there on the website. Stuart, good to see you again. Ron, nice to see you. It's been a while. Likewise. And uh, gentlemen, we'll hopefully reconvene this conversation not too far down the road. Thanks for your calls as well. Thanks for having us. Thanks. A pleasure. We're back after this. 
We do have a moment to tell you about uh, earlier in the hour, we looked at the best and worst cities in Canada for single people to buy a home. And of course, Vancouver tops that list along with Toronto and Victoria. Now we have more info on single people, courtesy of Statistics Canada this week, as StatsCan is digging deeper into what kind of adults live with their parents at a time when more are doing so than ever before. Close to 1.9 million Canadians aged Aged 25 to 64, lived with at least one parent in 2017, more than double the 900,000 recorded 20 years earlier, says StatsCan. Back in 95, Canadians at home made up only 5% of the adult population, 25 to 64. Now it's gone from 5 up to 9%. But the people at the Vanier Institute for the Family say it's wrong to label them all couch potatoes. While students made up a significant share of adults living with parents, most had paid employment, 74%, only slightly fewer than the 80% of those not living with parents. They were less likely to have worked full-time permanent jobs in the prior year, though, 72%, compared to 82% of those living apart from their parents. 70% reported being single, meaning they were unmarried and had no common-law partners. And here's an interesting finding. Close to three-quarters Quarters of adults living with parents have never lived apart from their parents, Statistics Canada says. This held true regardless of age group, reads the report, adding that 60% of those aged 55 to 64 and living with a parent had always done so. The reason is usually the result of either a disability or culture. 21% of people identifying themselves as South Asian, including peoples of Indian, Pakistani, and Sri Lankan descent, and 19% of people of Chinese descent, aged 25 to 64, lived with parents. More than double the 9% of the Canadian total population. But it is unclear whether adult children are returning after leaving the nest or if parents are moving in with them. StatScan says those figures released just yesterday will provide demographers and other social policy experts a starting point to get some more answers. That is our first hour of Vancouver Consumer Today, produced by Ben Dooley. Andrew Ferreira is at the controls. If you have thoughts or suggestions for our show, we'd love to hear from you. Sterling at cknw.com is the email address, or you can tweet us at VanConsumer. And remember, you can listen to our show anytime. Subscribe to and download our podcast for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Lots more Vancouver straight ahead, right after the news. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.